Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, where we discuss hunting tactics, wildlife and habitat management, and the dynamics of land ownership. I'm Clint Flowers, here with my co-host Joe Baya. Joe, how'd your weekend go? Man, I had a pretty good weekend. I hate I missed getting to come up there and, and hunt with you guys. Had a little work emergency that prevented me from getting up there, but uh, I was able to get out on my land here, here by the house and had two real good hunts, trying to guide somebody else on a turkey and got thoroughly schooled in the in the game of chess that is turkey hunting. I mean, we got to hear all the goblin and and see the show, but uh, I screwed it up both times, man. How about you? Uh, we actually had a, a great hunt. Uh, the first day was real windy, so we just kind of made the best of it, didn't hear much or really anything. And then the second morning, uh, I made a good guess as to where they'd be, and you know, they gobbled early. We had a little little earlier sunrise than usual, and, and the only gobbler I heard was, was very near us. We set up on him, patient. Apparently he's real bad at hearing because my calling worked and we got him. So it was, you know, my first turkey to call in myself, uh, first turkey I've taken with my son and on our family property. So that I've been running around on since I was five years old. So it was a, a good day. That's awesome, man. That's, that's what hooks you and hopefully hooks him more importantly. And I'm proud of you, man. You stuck with it. You and I have been talking about it for a couple of weeks now and it's been tough conditions. And usually when you have a slow start to the season, the end of the season can be really hot. And I've seen it time and time again with most turkey hunters, they get two weeks into the season and they're like, man, they're frustrated. Fish are calling their name. They're starting to feel every bug bite and they see a couple snakes in the woods and they're like, all right, I'm done. And uh, a lot of times they miss the best part of the season. So that's awesome, dude. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, we're actually more excited about the rest of the season now. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's great, man. That's great. Well, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to today's show. You were talking about your boy and, and I've got a young son as well. And the thought of them getting injured really sends chills down my spine. You know, with both of us being outdoorsmen, and having firearms, uh, and, and when I have plenty of firearms, I thought it'd be good to do a show devoted to the various gun storage ideas that can keep us, you know, the big challenge is being able to be ready for a crisis type situation, whether it's an intruder in your home or something else altogether, but be ready for those types of situations, but also keep your kids safe and keep the guns safe from thieves. If somebody were to ever get in your house, I've just got a, a regular gun safe. What I mean, is that what you use too? Yeah, we've got the big one that sits in the closet, you know, sticks out like a sore thumb. And then we've got one that, or a few of them actually, that sit in drawers. So I guess I should probably shouldn't record where all my safes are on, right. on a podcast. But yeah, yeah, we've got we've got the hidden ones and the and the and the uh, big atrocious ones that my that my wife hates. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, gun safety, you know, being a field, you know, being outdoors sense was taught to me at a very early age. And, you know, right. I learned, learned the, uh, the basics of gun safety. But as far as keeping my home safe and dealing with an intruder and also keeping my, my guns safe from kids, that's not something that I really, un I mean, I really know that much about. So I just kind of keep my stuff locked up. And I've thought about it a lot. You know, if somebody were to there were to be a, a home invasion, I don't know that I could get to my guns that, that quickly now that I've got a, a kid in the mix. It wasn't that way before I had a kid. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. I'm looking forward to today's show. Yeah, Joe, me too. All right, well, Joe, who's bringing us the show this week? This week's show is brought to us by Black Belt Bounty. Black Belt Bounty is a, a new coffee table book that's been put out by Alabama Black Belt Adventures. And I'm telling you, man, this is a this is really a literary work of art. These guys have have really worked hard on this. And 
what the book is about is really celebrating the traditions of hunting and fishing that are just so deeply embedded in the lives of the folks who enjoy the outdoors in Alabama's black belt, just like you do, Clint, just like I've been able to over the years. It's got some of the, some of the best award-winning writers, award-winning photography, and the thing I like about it, it's got some really good recipes from Alabama's nationally recognized celebrity chefs. If you guys are looking for a great gift idea for Father's Day or just a, a nice book to keep around your hunting camp or your home, pick up a copy at alabamablackbeltadventures.org slash book. We've got a copy in our camp, and I know that everybody in there that, that comes in is, is really drawn to it. And once you, if you get to sit down with it, it's, it's so much detail. You're definitely there for a while because it's just one of those books that sit on your coffee table a lot of people wonder about, but really, once you get into it, like you said, it's a piece of art and with a lot of information as well. It is. I think it does a really great job of depicting why we do what we do, as opposed to just the, you know, the ta- not so much the tactical side of what we do, but the traditions and the history and, and what draws us in to hunting as a tradition, as something for you to get together with your family and do every year. And speaking of tactical, our guest on today's show is Tom Kubinick, and Tom's company, Secure It Tactical, is the largest supplier of weapon storage units to the U.S. military, including the Special Forces. So, Tom, welcome to Hunting Land. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure and an honor to be a part of the program. Yes, sir. Well, we're happy to have you as well. And I was just, just telling Clint, you know, as we started the show, that I know I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old at the house. He's getting to the point where he can... He can reach things that he hasn't been able to reach before. And I'm, I'm really having to rethink how I store my firearms and where I store my firearms. And I know, I've just noticed recently that I am putting all my guns in a storage solution that's not really allowing me quick access. So we want to talk with you today about how we can store our guns in a way that gives us the best access in the case of a, a crisis situation, but also keeps them safe from our, our, our family members that, that uh, may not be able to handle them in a, in a safe way. But before we get there, tell us a little bit more about Secure It Tactical. Uh, how'd you get into the business? It's an interesting story. I was running a business, a web-based business, selling computer technology and computer security when the HIPAA laws came out. We were selling a lot of laptop cabinets and uh, hard drive storage, um, computer tape storage, security products. In fact, we were the, one of the largest distributors in the country. And I got a phone call from a guy who said, can you store an MP5? Now, I wasn't in firearm mode. I was in computer mode at that time. I'm going, sure. What's an MP5? And he <laughs> says, well, it's a little machine gun, which I, you know, okay. And he said he's with the FBI. We, we had a laugh about it. You're but thinking like think, MP4. Yeah, I, I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking computer jargon. Because right. as a salesman, I'm not going to say no. And uh, we started talking for a little bit. And I found it fascinating the challenges they were facing with smaller, modular firearms or weapons. Because, I mean, the mil- and we looked at the military, which had been in M16 since. Vietnam was transitioning to the M4. They're going from a standard, what we call a battle rifle, so we call it. The M4 is smaller, modular, with a lot of different components that could attach to it. And none of the storage solutions that they were currently using could deal with it. So we saw an opportunity, and I was a, uh, you know, I was an sh- avid shooter. Um, I was living in California at the time. I wasn't doing any hunting. 
And we just thought, wow, let's jump into this. And we started developing and working on weapon storage for the military. We worked with a, a Canadian firm initially just to learn more, spent a lot of time traveling the military basis. There was very few people in that space. And we very quickly became a major player in military weapon storage. We landed a large contract with, it was USAFIC, U.S. Army Special Forces Command, which is now part of SOCOM, to uh, basically tell them why their armories were failing. It was about a two-year project traveling all over the country and culminating in a report to the command about armory and why they fail and the best practices. It was during that two-year contract that we really you know, honed our skills and became very good at this. And we developed our what at the time, the tactical weapon storage platform, now called Cradle Grid, which is our gun storage system that's it's unique. It's, uh, it's based on years of work with the military, and it absolutely works. Yeah, I was looking at your website uh, before the show. One of the things I noticed was a major difference is, is just how you actually are able to access the firearm. So from a you know, traditional gun safe perspective, you've got guns behind guns. And it looks like on with your system, you've never got a gun behind another gun. All, each gun is is available to be grab it, pull it out, and it's not in the way of another firearm. That's correct, and that's a, that's one of the core principles in military storage. It's one arm, one gun. All guns are in a straight line. You can open a rack or open a cabinet with one arm, remove a gun with the other, close it and lock it. Everything can be done so you never lay a gun on the ground. Guns are never banging into each other. Now, when we started doing this, we were, I mean, we're strictly military. It never occurred to us to even consider the civilian market. And this was for, I mean, we're in the military only for probably 12 years. And we started customers that mostly was Navy SEALs coming to us saying, hey, can I get one of your racks from my house? Our military products, we sell a handful of those into the consumer civilian field, but they're really not designed for that. And we started looking at it and doing research. The best we came up with, and was a, spent a lot of time doing it, most gun wear and gun damage occurs during storage, going in and out of gun safes, being laid on the ground, packed. The modern gun safe, if you really look at the interior of a gun safe, it's not designed to hold guns. I mean, not by any standard that we would consider. It's really, if you really look at it, the cold, hard reality, it's designed to look good empty because that's how it's sold in a, in a gun safe store. They're designed so when you open the door, it's this impressive looking, carpeted, smooth, beautiful interior. But those little W's, it says hold 60 guns. You're going to probably fit 15 to 20 in there. Non-adjustable. It really doesn't work that well. Yeah. By the time you, especially when you start figuring and having optics, which most, most hunters, um, which is going to be the majority of the people listening to this show, have got an optic on, I would say, 50% or more of the, of the weapons that they have. So you start throwing an optic on, on guns, that's taking up a lot more than, than one gun space. But, you know, let me ask you this. Uh, I was laughing the other day because I saw, I saw a meme come across my, my Facebook news feed and it said, you know, just so we're all clear, they were talking about the, uh, the coronavirus pandemic. It said, just so we're all clear, the government has now said that liquor is essential, whereas school is not. So, <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they basically said liquor stores can stay open and so can gun stores. I, you know, I've, I've got some uh, friends that are in the gun business and they have been selling guns like hotcakes uh, with this, this panic. You know, a lot of people are panic buying because nobody really knows what to expect uh, from COVID-19 and, and what could potentially happen? Is, are you noticing the same things with regards to your business? We are. We're, we've, now, when this whole thing started, and we, we're all running remote 
we have the capability of running what we'll say in the cloud for the most part. So our office is pretty much empty. A couple, two people, three people, and the whole company is running remote. And we are seeing a uh, an uptick in sales. Now we did a couple changes we made. We're not sure we weren't if our warehouse was going to be mandated to shut down or be deemed essential. Our our primary warehouse is in Dallas, Texas, and it's a it's a shared space. There's also food and uh, some other supply items in this warehouse. And because it's also used for food distribution, it's the warehouse as a whole was deemed essential. So we are open and not going to be shut down. We did initiate a, a discount across our website with a message just saying, look, we're not sure what's going to happen while supplies last, while we're able to ship. We did a site-wide discount because we knew some people were going to be financially hitting hard times. We wanted to make it as easy as possible. But we are seeing an uptick in storage to track with the uptick in firearm sales, which I'm glad. I mean, if you're going to buy a firearm, there's a lot of first-time buyers out there. You've got to make sure it's secured. Yeah, I mean, I I think that that's... Uh, what do you call it? You know, project creep. It, it seems like a lot of times you you buy something, you buy an item that you've never had before, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh wait, I've got this gun now. Now I need to get some kind of safe, some kind of way to store this gun safely. Some people, unfortunately, don't. You know, they just get the gun and throw it in their closet in the corner or put it under their bed, and God forbid a, a kid gets his hands on it or, or a thief. But you know, yeah. we got a lot of people that are first time gun buyers right now. And, um, they're also getting their first experience with gun storage. So let's talk a little bit about, about that first time gun buyer, or really just anyone who's got to store firearms. What do you think should be the biggest concerns for a gun owner when it comes to gun storage? First and foremost, the storage has to be designed for the gun. I mean, I mean, people talk about, you know, respect for firearms. One of our statements is respect doesn't end when you close the door. So however you're storing the gun, it needs to be in a condition that when you remove it, it is exactly the same as it was when you put it in. And, you know, In the military, a sniper goes into combat, his rifle has to perform perfectly. He has perhaps one shot that he has to make. One of the reasons that we are now the primary supplier, and we do all the SOCOM guys, is because our system's designed when a gun goes in, the gun comes out, it will perform perfectly. Everything's free and clear. Everything's de- it's designed for the gun. Whereas a lot of storage is designed for looks, aesthetics, size, heritage. There's all sorts of crazy reasons. But that's first and foremost. Then I would look at the gun is locked, yet you have fast access. I don't like trigger locks personally. Shy of anything, I would use one. But they're too slow. I don't like the fact that a child has access to the firearm. So if there's kids in the house, we would always say make sure the firearm is locked out of sight. Little kids do not need to know. Once they're old enough, teach them, train them, teach them about respect, how to be proficient. And now that changes it a bit. But when they're little, lock them out of sight. And there's plenty of good, fast access gun cabinet, gun safe products on the market that that can achieve that goal very affordably. Talking about fast access, Clint, you were telling me that you've got what you got a biometric gun safe. That was our last one that we bought uh, just to keep close to us, you know, with the idea that, that we'd have that quick access. And my wife's from a country uh, from Trinidad and Tobago and has very strict gun laws. So when she decided to marry a boy from South Alabama with all these weapons, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a different introduction. You know, so we're, we're in constant 
discussions probably, you know, at least once or twice a month about, you know, where things are, how to access them safely, how to store them and, and, you know, really when to expect when these things are most likely to happen. So Tom, when did, when do you see statistically that most break-ins occur? I mean, and how big of a risk Um, from a violent standpoint? The actual risk is very low. But that's not why you buy firearms. That's not why you defend yourself. The risk of a lot of things is very low, but we prepare for it because it's, it's, you know, security. You have security for that one in a million chance. Odds are my house is not going to burn down, but I have fire insurance. Odds are I'm not going to see a break in, but I'm prepared to defend myself if I do. So it's, you know, the crime data, FBI crime data, most break-ins occur during the day. Now, I think that's going to stop with this virus because everybody's home right now. And, you know, when a criminal breaks into a house, if you're not home, they're going master bedroom, home office den, dining room, typically out of the house at that point in under 10 minutes. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about decentralizing your storage. You know, the idea of putting all your guns in one big metal box next to a fireplace is just kind of crazy. The, you know, the safe industry traditionally would have you believe that. This great, big, beautiful safe with Western letters on it next to a pool table to show in their marketing piece, you know, like this is security is crazy. You're advertising. You're just saying, hey, all my guns are in here. I dare you to open it. And when you look at actual security, the cornerstone of security is secrecy. So we promote the concept of decentralized storage or store your guns in smaller modular cabinets, locate them throughout your home does two things. It protects the firearms. Thieves won't find them. Secondly, you've got fast access to a firearm almost anywhere in your house. And as if you actually look at the data, the most secure places to store firearms happen to be some of the best places to store firearms from a defensive standpoint. And I can go through those if you'd like me to. Yeah, let's hear about that. Okay, so if you look again, look at the data, master bedroom and bathroom, they're looking for valuables and drugs. Technically, that's the worst place to put any of your valuables. I would recommend fast access, small, like we have a fast box under your bed. I, I defend my home with an AR-15. That's the only, that's the only firearm that I would use. That's, and that's just my, everybody has their decision. That's just what I choose. I'm the most proficient with it. I've got one under my side of the bed, one under my wife's side. That's it. Coming down to the main house, front hall closet. Thieves don't look in these closets. It's just full of coats. There's no valuables in a closet like this. I've got a cabinet. I've got six rifles next to my front door. Somebody comes to the front door. They're knocking on it. I I look out. I don't recognize them. I'm not going to let them in. They decide they want to try to kick the door down. I've got quick access to whatever firearm I want. In a kitchen, people spend the bulk of their time at home during daylight hours in the kitchen or sometimes kitchen den is tied together. I've got a fast box in my pantry. I've got a small handgun located in in a kitchen cabinet. Again, in a secure box, it's not visible. Nobody would even know it's there. Thieves never go through kitchens. If you're in the kitchen, you sense a break in, you can arm yourself. And there's typically an exit point from the home. From from most kitchens, you can arm yourself and get out of the house. Again, I speak for myself. I don't want the conflict. I don't want to deal with, you know, that that kind of a fight. I'm going to arm myself and get out and uh, let, the, let law enforcement deal with it. And if, but I am armed. If, if there's a conflict, I will defend myself. 
Let me step you back finally, to access. Yeah. You were talking about, you know, you mentioned a fast box and having that under the bed. And, and Clint was telling me earlier that his biometric safe, he just has a lot of times, I don't know, he's probably got fat fingers or something, Tom. I'm not sure what it is, but he was telling me <laughs> that he's, he's just, uh, yeah, he's out and he's selling land all day long, Tom. So he's got probably got dirt on his hands or he'd like to like to believe he does. But, he, you know, he said that a lot of times he has a hard time getting into the safe. Is biometric a bad way to go? I mean, what do you guys use? We do not use biometric for a very simple reason. And it's what, what he's experiencing can happen. Will it happen? I don't know. When you're looking at defense of yourself in a, in a true life-threatening situation, this is never-fail time. So the, the fast box is designed as a never-fail piece of equipment. It's a, it's a manually operated. It's a four-button lock. It's what we teach people in the, in the materials that come with it is you mount it, you secure it, and if you got one under your bed, every night you go to bed, you reach down and just boom, very quietly, very calmly, do your combination by touch, open the box, close it, and then go to sleep. And it's all, it's mechanical by touch. So that if your hands are dirty, if they're wet, if you've got gloves on, you're going to be able to access those firearms very, very quickly. I like biometrics for a lot of things. If my life would depend on it, I wouldn't use it. It's just because, again, I have the same thing. We've got biometric products here, not that we make, that we test. And there's all sorts of times when you know, I'm doing something where I cannot get it to work. Sometimes my hands are really cold. I don't know if it changes the, the fingerprint or whatever. I've, I struggle with them. So, no, we, we don't use them. If your life depends on it, we don't recommend it. That was the exact comment I, I made to my wife. I mean, we've got it, I guess it's set up for three fingers of mine and three fingers of hers. And we tried all six and it would never open. We had to go find the key that you get in the box to, to get yep. it open. And I said, well, it's a good thing and we weren't getting robbed right then. <laughs> and it should be never fail. Um, one last piece I want to hit on. for the, I went through places to store guns for a defensive capability. If you've got a big collection then, or you've got a lot more guns, place nobody would think of. If you've got a guest bedroom in your house, and I've got one in my house, the closet in that bedroom is lined with cabinets. I've got a lot of firearms in there. See, you open the door to that bedroom, there's a made bed with a nightstand and a lamp and nothing else in the room. Thieves look in there and they say guest room. They don't even walk in. Mine's at the end of a hallway. So with my, if my kids are home, my kids are college age now. When people are home, if there's a break in at night, I give the word or we launch this thing, everybody goes to that room. We can arm ourselves and it's a hallway. So it's a constriction point and it's a, you know, it's a shooting lane. Nobody's going to get to us. They're never going to come down that hallway because they're going to have three guns on them. But that's if you're looking at true safety and security for your firearms, guest bedrooms are one of the safest places in your house. Tom, you mentioned a plan and some of the things you're saying are making me feel naive is not the right word. I guess a little bit anxious because I'm, I'm realizing that I haven't, I haven't planned effectively for this type of scenario and, and I haven't, I, I'm not in a good position currently to access firearms quickly that are also safe. So what, what is that plan? I mean, what do you use with your family and your household to get everybody on the same page? For my kids, they're just now college age and I don't train with them or work with them on my home on specific and arming themselves to defend themselves other than once we're in the guest room. And I do not have fast boxes. I do not have firearms in their rooms. And that's just a decision that I've made 
not to do that. So personally, I go to bed at night and it used to be every night. Now it's about once a week. And I reach down, I just get in bed quietly, calmly reach down, undo, do my fast box, open it and close it, open it, remove the firearm, put it back in and close it. I do that to maintain muscle memory of that lock. And I can have the firearm out of that lock absolutely silently in under two seconds. So it's very quick. My front hall closet, my coat closet, I put my coat, put my coat away. Boom, boom, I'll just reach and open the door, close it. Just practicing the, the motion of doing that. I did some training with a gentleman out of DC, um, Paramount Tactical, a while ago. Brilliant, brilliant little company, great training, and they make the thing. Train like you fight is, is a great way of looking at things. So I'm in my home. I'm going through those fast access products. Whenever I walk up, I'm in the kitchen in the pantry, boop, I reach over and just without looking, just do it. Because in the event of a crisis, heart rate's going to be going, things are going to seem crazy. Most people cannot open their fast access or their gun safe quickly if they're in a panic, if, if things are happening quick, because you never practice. I was talking, just put them in place and just practice. Now, as far as my safe room, which is a guest bedroom, it's not particularly, it's not a fortified room. It's nothing. It's at the end of the hallway. If somebody breaks in at night, I'm going to, I've got to walk by my kids' bedrooms to get to that room. And I'm just waking everybody up and guys go, go, go. And boom, they're in that room. I'm going to leave the door open. I'm going to be on the floor with a uh, AR-15. At that point, I'd have a, a boy or two behind me backing me up and nobody's going to get near us. Right. But it's the, the cornerstone of a lot of this, of home safety, home defense is practice. And most people, they buy a firearm when they're concerned. They'll go to the range. They'll get some training. They're really into it for the first month or two. It gets put into the little safe. And then a week goes by, you might go to the range. All of a sudden, it's been in the safe for two years and you haven't touched it. And that's what happens with a lot of firearms. And the biggest difference between our military and a lot of foreign fighting forces regardless of what's going on in the world, our boys are training every single day and they don't stop because that's what makes us the best fighting force. Well, in home defense, the same principle applies. If you have a firearm and if you are concerned about home defense and want to be able to handle any situation, you need to practice. I mean, not just going to the range of practice opening and remove and retrieving the firearm and putting it back in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, the other thing I'm thinking about, too, is for outdoorsmen, guys that are hunting, you know, what what we do is we've got these guns. They are, and, and I see it a lot, we've got these guns in our safes at the house, and then we get in the truck to go to our hunting camp, uh, go on a hunting trip, and we're putting that gun in a soft-sided case and putting it in our vehicle. It's not secured in the vehicle a lot of, in a lot of cases when we get to where we're hunting, whether it be a camp or elsewhere, it's again, not, not in a secure position. So it sounds like some of the modularity with this decentralized approach. I mean, are your, are your safes capable of being able to make a trip like that, where you've got maybe a one or two gun safe that could go from the house to, to a, a camp per se? Absolutely. The, fa the fast box, we actually, the fast box actually can be mounted in a vehicle. So you could have it actually in your vehicle, everything we build for the civilian market, our answer cabinets are heavier gauge, but they're designed to be portable, lightweight, going light. We call it the ultralight heavy-duty gun safe. Weight and gun safes 
So that's very old thinking. The idea that you need 800 pounds to be secure is based on 1950s threat level. Nowadays, you don't need the weight. The weight isn't getting you anything but heartache. It's so much easier to have lightweight. The average American moves every 6.3 years. Most people with a big, heavy gun safe, when they move, they end up leaving the safe or selling it locally because it costs far more to move a safe than it does to buy another one. That's the reason so ours is on the first floor instead of the second. It, uh, we couldn't get it up ab- there. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. And then the, if you want to talk about safes and weight, why is a gun safe heavy? Now, for the consumer, it's, well, the heavy weight means it's secure. Well, that may be, but that's not why they're heavy to a gun safe manufacturer. Gun safe manufacturers, all, if you read all the brochures and literature, they focus your attention on the door. And they're going to show all these bolts and plate steel, maybe, and all these security apparatuses and things they do to the door because the door is the security to them. Well, that door is heavy and that door swings open. If the safe is empty, the safe will tip over unless the safe is very heavy. The source of weight of your safe, other than the door, is drywall. American-made quality safes, most of them are 10 to 11 gauge steel. Now, you can custom order a little bit heavier gauge steel. And that's the cabinet of the safe and then a big fancy door. In the 1950s, that was a very secure safe because people would come at it with chisels, crowbars, pry bars. You'll see videos doing the pry bar test for safes, which I find kind of humorous. A cordless DeWalt 20-volt worm drive saw with a carbide blade. I can cut a big Fat Boy Jr. safe completely in half in under two minutes. I can cut an 18-inch by 18-inch hole in the side of the safe in 18 seconds and have access to the safe. And we've got videos of me doing that. And people don't realize modern battery-operated or plug-in power tools with modern carbide blades completely destroy the myth of security that these safes are giving people. That's why we say, okay, make the safe lighter, make it easy to live with, and make it modular so you can put them in places where thieves don't look. And even in the event that you're gone for a weekend and a thief is in your home, let's say for a day, he's, he's got all day long. He's just going through the house meticulous. He finds one cabinet. Maybe it's got five guns in it. He's like, wow, jackpot. And he leaves. He doesn't know you've got eight more cabinets throughout that home. Because once they find something of value, they typically leave. They don't stay. There's too much risk. That's interesting. So you, you almost, by decentralizing, you kind of have a sacrificial... In a sense, a guy may get five of your guns, but he doesn't get all of them. And, you know, you're giving up a little bit there, it seems like, but you're gaining so much more in having, you know, fast access and guns wherever you need them, when you need them. Absolutely. It's like a football game. If you take your entire front line, all your offensive players, and put them in one little spot packed together to try to move the ball, it might work. But no, you spread them out, knowing that some, you know, some are decoys, some are this, some are, you send a bunch of receivers out, a bunch of players out, you spread what you've got out because you know something's going to work and something isn't. It's the same type of thing with firearm storage is, I mean, for the most part, home break-ins are very rare, but if they do occur, don't make it easy. And a professional thief with a gun safe, he's going to have it open. He's never going to touch the door, have it open in under a minute. But Tom. All right. If you're going to, with this with this lightweight construction, what about what about fire safety? Fire ratings. That's another 
um, talking point that we uh, get frustrated with. The fire ratings on current gun safes, you'll see a sticker on the door, 30-minute rating, one-hour rating. There really is no standard for those. None of them carry an actual UL fire rating. And UL is the, that's the, the body that manages and regulates for the insurance industry, safety and security and fire ratings. The stickers on most safes are created by the manufacturers. They run their own test on a safe. They say, hey, it did this. It's a one-hour rating. They'll take a safe. They put it in an oven. They bring the oven up. They put probes in it. It goes an hour. And they said, boom, one-hour rating. It's a static environment. In a convective fire, fire in a home, the air inside your home will be moving in excess of 60 miles an hour. That safe's going to last 10, 15 minutes. If you look at stories of like the California fires, there's no gun safes that survive that. The whole fire rating, we've got a lot, there's a lot of data there. We've got a lot that we should talk about on our website. There's far more to go into than in a, uh, in a show like this, but there's a lot of good data out there. The other big statement I would make to people is, do you need a fire rating? Most people don't. If you live with a paid or a professional firefighting force in your city or town, Access time to your home is probably less than five minutes. I live in a small town volunteer firefighting force, 11 minutes to my house. And you can call your fire department, give them your address, and they'll give you exactly what that time is. Insurance companies require that they know that because that's how they rate your fire insurance policy. Secondly, house fires are becoming more and more rare. Most house fires occur in the kitchen and most are contained to a pot or to the stove. 95% of all the damage in your house from fires is smoke damage, not fire damage. So if uh, if you do have a fire in your home, 68% chance it's in the kitchen and it's going to be contained within a pot. Second to that is smoking is the next one. It's carelessness. But typically that's somebody falling asleep. A fire starts there right there and the fire's out. Again, some smoke damage. The rate of homes burning to the ground in America is so low. The places we've talked about storing firearms are not places that typically get heat and flame in a fire. Most fires in homes are out within 10, 15 minutes. So we don't consider fire ratings as a necessity. It's something that's being sold by this industry going back for a long time. If you are determined that you have to have a fire rating, you need to purchase a safe with a concrete fill. It has to be a double-walled steel inner, steel outer, concrete composite fill. We make one, AMSEC makes one, there might be one or two other. They, they're eight to $15,000 and they actually will give you some levels of protection from a fire. Drywall safes will not. There's no data. And I've looked at a lot of it that says these things work at all. So Tom, you, you've mentioned several things here that have kind of flipped me on my head with regards to what I've been doing. But talk a little bit about secure it tactical gun storage. So you mentioned, you know, drywall composition and you mentioned the ability to basically cut most safes in half. What what do you guys do different? Uh, are you less concerned with construction of the safe and more concerned with decentralization or do you focus on both things? Um, we're more focused on decentralization, but we do, we do, I mean, our safes cannot be easily opened. They can be cut into like you can cut into a traditional drywall gun safe. But we, we base everything that we do based on, we're going to say, military principles of weapon storage. And in the military, they would never use 
any of the products. In fact, some of the products in a gun safe wouldn't even be allowed in the military. They're certainly not allowed. You'll never see a museum use a gun safe for valuable guns because of the corrosive properties of the materials they use. Our safes are steel, and the, the cradle that we hold the firearm with is olefin. It's a patented olefin product that doesn't off-gas. So if you've got vintage rifles, you're never going to get a, a mark in the gun from materials within your storage system. Gun safes are full of formaldehyde adhesives. The drywall contains pyrite, ferrooxidant bacteria. We've got a pretty couple good articles on our website on this, but you know, there's one's called the toxic box and it talks about gun safes and corrosion. They sell millions of dollars worth of anti-corrosion products every year for gun safes. But if you've got a grandpa or an uncle that's got an old wooden cabinet with guns in it or a, or a shotgun above a fireplace in a house, they don't corrode. Properly oiled, properly cleaned, put away. I've got guns that are on display in my house for years. There's no risk of corrosion. Yet in gun safes, there's, when you buy a safe, talk about it. You need to get something for corrosion. Well, why? The reason is the, the materials used to create that carpeted, drywalled interior have a lot of very corrosive chemicals in them. And I challenge some people when you walk into a safe store, if the new safe's been closed for a while, open the door and just smell in there. If you smell a little hint of sulfur, that's the process at work. That's sulfuric acid. That's a breakdown of pyrite by ferrooxidant bacteria and formaldehyde inside the safe. And it's, it's producing very low levels of sulfuric and sulfurous acids. They're also in a gaseous state, and that's what you're smelling. And corrosion is a real issue with gun safes that they don't want to talk about. Yeah, there's no doubt about, you know, I mean, I've, I've got a dehumidifier in my, in my gun safe. And mm-hmm. uh, even still, I've had, some, I've had some firearms that have had some just, you know, light. Surface what, I, rust. Yeah, like surface rust or I, I don't know exactly. You've called spider rust or what it is, but just little dots, you know, on the, on the yeah. firearm. I haven't done any, you know, I haven't done any. I, they were stored correctly is with regards to they were put up oiled and uh, lubricated and clean from you know gunpowder and things like that this is just surface rust on the outside of the firearm so that's always been one of my big concerns as well so, so tom what i'm hearing from you is that the biggest thing with regards to keeping your guns accessible but also keeping them safe from people you don't want them to be in their hands is decentralization. You need to keep a couple of uh, one to two firearms in your master bedroom because that's where you're going to be uh, a lot of times in, in, in a crisis scenario. But that's also the first place that a thief is going to go. A kitchen's another good spot. Yeah. A front, uh, a closet near a front door is another good area. But then it sounds like you're saying the bulk of the storage needs to be in one of these rooms in our home that's, that's not used a lot, something like a guest room. And yeah, or, or even closets. Like if you've got a den, a closet, a den, a basement, there's, when you really look at it, you know, smaller modular cabinets, there's tons of places you can put them in a home. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like you say, being able to be modular and take it with you is, a big, is, a, is another mm-hmm. big thing. And then the last thing is just having a plan having a plan for what you're going to do in one of these types of scenarios. And I know you guys have got a lot more information on all these subjects uh, over on your website. If, if folks want to look up some of the videos you guys have put together and, and get some more information on, on your gun storage solutions, what's the, what's the best place to send them online? Um, secure it gun storage um, is our website. And the secure it is one word. Um, YouTube, our YouTube channel is secure it. 
Um, you can follow us on YouTube. We post a lot of videos. We used to, we're, we were doing a show every week and with all the craziness and everything going on right now, we're not currently producing that, but you know, our goal is to provide, you know, solid information based on military principles and our experience in the defense world. And we're up against an industry that's just, that's just based on 1950s thought process for guns. We're really trying to change the way people think about, you know, why do you buy the gun? Why do you have the gun? How do you use it? And is what you're doing actually conducive to the results that you want? And we think there's a better way to do it. it it's all made sense to me, Tom. We appreciate you joining us today and, and sharing a little bit about y'all's mission over there at Secure Tactical. It sounds like y'all are on the right track. And uh, good luck with uh, the rest of this this pandemic. You know, I think that it's going to, sounds like it's going to bring some more business your way, but I, I hope also that it, y'all are able to keep your doors open and, and not have any uh, any issues with the supply chain coming your way. Sounds like you're doing good and, and got some good sales going on right now. If folks want to take advantage of that, uh, just head over to y'all's website and, and take a look at what you got going on. Yeah, I, I do think America comes out of this thing stronger. I, you know, we're, we're not a country that falls into anarchy. When, when things get tough, people pull together. They don't fight. My neighborhood, we're closer with my neighbors. We're all helping each other now. And I think America comes out of it as a stronger, better country. And uh, we are running through the end of this month. We're running a discount. We're going to continue it while supplies last. Hopefully, the country goes back to normal in about six weeks. That's what we're hoping. Well, we are too. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again. All right. Thank you very much. I really, really had a good time and uh, I look forward to uh, becoming a regular listener to the show. Clint, don't you hate it when you've got a way of thinking and somebody kind of flips you on your head and makes you realize you're doing things wrong? Yeah. All this time and effort I've spent dragging this big, heavy safe around now, it makes me feel pretty dumb about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I dis, you know, nobody likes to figure out that they're doing something wrong, but at the same time, I'm glad I know it's annoying that we've been dealing with those heavy safes and it really isn't protecting us. But at the same time, it's good to know that there's a solution out there. I think the biggest thing for me was the decentralization. That's, that's always made sense to me. Like when I sat there and thought about it, but I never acted on it. You know, it's like, Hey, here's where all my valuable stuff is. It's right here in this box right here, like all of it. So somebody's got time, they can just, Wheel it out of your house the same way you wheeled it into your house. They better bring some friends. <laughs> uh, no, I agree. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, this is what, what this really tells me is that this is more about diversification. Um, you know, we, we talk about it a lot in real estate, but really it, it applies to a lot of things, including gun safety. So you've got the big one, you've got your documents in there that, that uh, are important to you and it's got its place, but you know, having the smaller, more versatile safes that are, you know, they're better for the historic guns and, and things like that. The heritage pieces, you know, there's a place for those too. Yeah. And I, w- I was looking around on, on their website a little bit. And one of the cool things I like is they've got this, I'm not sure exactly what they call it, but they've got this modular storage system within the gun safe itself it allows you to hang these little trays these little buckets almost so like if you've got a if you've got an ar-15 that's one caliber and you got a hunting rifle that's another caliber and a shotgun you can put a a little a little box right above it and put that gun's ammunition or some of that gun's ammunition right there with that weapon or magazines so that because i know i've had that happen to me too like okay i got the gun now i gotta find the ammo 
uh, or I got to find the magazine. Uh, oh, it's in the box. It's in my bag of ammo. That's got nine different kinds of ammo in it. So that's, this thing has some cool stuff. I might have to check that, check that website out some more. Well, I wrote a contract on Sunday. How's it going for you? Uh, good. We had two contracts come in within the last few days. We're, we're up to about $2 million just in the last three or four days. And, uh, we've got a, a big farm coming to market soon. That's a part timberland, part agriculture and part catfish farm. Awesome. I had the hadn't slowed down. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, uh, that we didn't really expect it to slow down. And so far we're right. We'll, we'll see how things plan out, pan out, but, uh, I'm liking, liking what I see out of the, out of the land business right now. Yeah. We're actually more busy than we were before. And I think, you know, this is, this is all drawn attention to the, to the, the value in, in rural real estate, you know, not just as an investment, but also in the, the tangibility of it, if that's a good word, just because times like this, you can get out there and, and quarantine on it. Did you see that uh, we, we did a show a while back on collectible firearms um, and they've, I was been keeping up with them, TNG, but now they, they are now savethefineguns.com. They've got a big new inventory of those drillings. Uh, I think they have over 200 of them. When Tom was talking about that proprietary material that they use in their gun safes, it made me think about that because those guns are all collector's pieces and you got to make sure you're not, you know, marring them up as well. Are you, yeah. uh, you seen that come through? I'm, I was pretty excited about that. 200 drillings to be able to get your hands on. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, <laughs> Uh, Dr. Inge and, and, and that project definitely came to mind immediately when he said that and, and uh, reminded me I need to get back on the hunt with them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were, you sent me that video the other day that when you were turkey hunting and uh, y'all were watching those pigs out there. And I said, see, if you'd had a drilling, it'd have been over. It'd been, yeah. It'd have been perfect for that. No doubt. All right, folks. Well, that's going to wrap it up this week. This week's Huntland podcast has been brought to you by Bay County Armory. So in addition to looking for gun storage solutions, if you are in the market to build an AR-10 or AR-15, we know that can be a daunting task. Choosing every individual component of the firearm is something that prevents most from ever getting started and leaves you buying whatever rifle you can find on the shelf. At Bay County Armory, they guide you on choosing which components you want based on the type of task you're trying to tackle. So don't let the feeling of overwhelm stop you from having the exact AR-10 or AR-15 you want. Give Bay County Armory a call at 850-832-2238 or check them out online at baycountyarmory.com. As always, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like us to email you the podcast, just head over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash land. And join our email list. We'll send you the podcast each week. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you again soon. This week's show has been brought to you by Wildlife Management Solution. The experts at Wildlife Management Solutions can guide you on selecting the best forage for your soils and goals. So give them a call at 877-400-8089 or check out their website with more information and a full dealer list at productsforwildlifemanagement.com. 
and also brought to you by the Alabama Ag Credit. Buying real property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes natural resources need financial resources. And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. And also brought to you by Bay County Armory. Building an AR-10 or AR-15 can be a daunting task. Don't let the feeling of overwhelm stop you from having the exact AR you want. Give Bay County Armory a call at 850-832-2238. And also brought to you by Alabama Black Belt Adventures and their new coffee table book, Black Belt Bounty. Celebrates the traditions of hunting and fishing so deeply embedded in the folks who get to call the Alabama Black Belt home and the folks who enjoy. It's got unbelievable writing from award-winning writers, excellent photography, and some really awesome recipes from some of Alabama's nationally recognized celebrity chefs. If you want to pick up a copy, just go over to the Alabama Black Belt Adventures website at alabamablackbeltadventures.org slash blackbeltfountain. 